My name is Adam Barrett. I'm one of the student pastors here at Central, and also I get to be our next-gen pastor for our team, and it's a, it's a huge honor and privilege to preach this uh, weekend. I also want to welcome everyone online, uh, those out in the concourse or in Oakwood. We're so glad you're there as well. You're with us. It's all about the church, and we're thankful that you are all here. We all care about how people think of us. This looks different depending on the type of person you are and the level level, but all of us at some type of level care about how we look. We care about the image that we're giving up. We care about our reputation. Okay, maybe not everyone. There's a small population in the human race that doesn't care, and it's a sweet little age of, of kids. And if you've been around little kids, you know, it's anywhere from like that two to four year range, they just do them. You know, I, I have uh, my, my son, Hosea, this past summer, he was, he's four, and we got him a snorkel set. And when I say a snorkel set, it's the goggles, the snorkel, and then the flippers, and he loved it. He loved it so much, he insisted on wearing it everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I really mean that, even at a place like Barnes & Noble. Take a look. We were there for an hour, just so you know. Going to the bathroom in flippers, interesting. Going to sleep, that's a whole nother story. But he loved those things. Now, granted, he's, he's going to grow up really soon to figure out that, oh, wait, I actually care about what people think of me and what we portray. We all care about this because we believe, we put effort into our image. We put effort into our reputation because that, we believe that says something to people who look at us. And we care about people's opinion. We do. And we care even more because we put so much effort into this and we care about our image. We care when someone hurts our image, when someone speaks against our reputation. Why? Because it's personal. It's something we care about and someone speaks ill of that. We feel it. Now, how are we supposed to deal with this? Okay, now, we're, we're Midwest, a lot of us are Midwesterners. And a lot of Midwesterners, when, they, when someone kind of hurts them, they're like, well, thanks for letting me know that. I'll think about that a little later. Or even as Christians, we really don't know how to deal with the reality when someone really hurts us, who speaks ill of us. We're like, well, I'm a Christian. I, I, I love Jesus, and I guess I really shouldn't feel mad at somebody. We, we don't know how to handle this. And so today we're going to be looking at a guy named David. And David was king over Israel in the Old Testament. And in this story we're going to look at, he's hurt. He's hurt by some specific people. We are in a series called When, where we're looking through the book of Psalms. And we're looking at Psalms that talk about specific circumstances that we will all go through. Whether you've already gone through it, or I guarantee you will, the book of Psalms is is amazing. It's most unique. It's such a unique part of Scripture that speaks to how we deal with circumstances. And so today we're going to be looking at Psalm four. So if you want to open up your Bible, Psalm four, they're in front of you, um, or get on your online, your phone, what have you. But Psalm chapter four, easy way to find Psalms. 
divide the Bible in half, or I use it all the time, table of contents. It's amazing. Still works all the time. Uh, Psalm chapter 4, and and we're going to be looking at what do we do when people hurt us? We're going to be looking at what do we do when people hurt you? Would you join me in in praying? God, I, I thank you that your body is gathered, that your saints, your sons and daughters, we're, we're gathered together. Father, would you be present even more? God, would you speak truth? Would you speak encouragement? Would you give hope? Would you bring conviction? But God, this has to be of you. You have to do the work. We declare dependence on you. Amen. Psalm 4 is written again by this guy, David. And he authored a ton of, a, a ton of psalms. And okay, in this, David is feeling hurt. And in this psalm, we're going to see three realities, three, that we need to know and experience when people hurt us. Three realities. I want you to look at verse 1, how he starts it off. It says this, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in sick and distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. The first of these realities that we need to know and experience is this. It's the approachability of God. The approachability of God. David begins, not in a formal address, it's raw language. He says, help me. God, God, you need to answer me. You need to hear me and what's going on and you need to do something. Now, David knows who he's talking to. He knows that this is God, Lord of all, and he's in control. And yet David comes to mighty God, king of the universe, and says, answer me, hear my prayer. This is not a sign of disrespect. Rather, it's a sign of an intimate relationship. David sees God as completely approachable. This is difficult to get our minds around. So, okay, let's say someone famous that you think is famous is coming to town. Maybe it's T. Swift or uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Tom Brady or whoever it is in your mind. It's like, oh my gosh, they're very famous. And they came into town and you got a chance to meet them. You're going to be thinking what you're going to dress, how you're going to say, what you're going to talk about. Do I introduce myself? Do I say all, all these different stuff? Why? Because the bigger the figure, the less approachable they are. Yet here, we have God who is the the biggest figure, and yet David sees him completely approachable. Another way to maybe understand what's happening here is in the relationship of a a newborn or a young child has with their mom or dad. Our youngest uh, daughter, her her name is Selah. Oh, man, she's a cutie, right? Look at that bow. We have like 30 bows at our house, by the way. My wife loves bows, but no, she's a cutie. She's going to be two in March. And it doesn't matter her mood. She could be excited. She could be sad. She could be hungry. She could want to play. Whatever it is, she knows without a shadow of a doubt, she can always come to her mom or dad. Not only that, she actually expects it. Like, that's her reality. Whether we're available or not, she's like, "Uh, you need to be here. That's the reality. Why? Because... Okay, one, that's developmentally, I know that's where they're at in kids, but even more, it's because of the continuing relationship she's growing with her mom and dad. Do you see God this way? 
Do you see God? Okay, yes, it's magnificent and holy, but also completely approachable. The God of the universe who wants David to come to him with any plea and circumstance wants us to do the same. God is approachable. This truth can be difficult. I mean, there's times in my life, in my relationship with God, I'm like, oh my word, I, I, I feel this. I know this, I go to him and it's great. But there's other times I, I simply don't. And it could be because, well, I feel guilty, I feel shame. It could be because I just don't feel like it. I'm lazy, I'd rather do different things. There's a whole mix of things. This is the one thing I'm starting to understand in my younger life as following God is, is that the more we approach God and go to him, the more he will prove to be approachable. Have you approached him lately? Look at verse 2. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. Now, quick side note. In the book of Psalms, you'll see this term selah quite often. Or other translations will do like, say, an interlude. And we're not 100% sure the meaning behind this, but we have two really good ideas. First, the book of Psalms was, a com was commonly used in the worship of the Israel people when they're worshiping God. So they would sing these, they would read these, they would pray these. And then when it said Selah, a lot of times that meant, oh wait, it's a musical interlude. Something musically has happened. Another meaning for this is actually a moment for pause or reflection as the people are worshiping God. All right, now, now in verse 2, we get what's happening. Why is David having such problems? And there are people speaking dishonor to his name, his reputation. Now, these aren't just any people. The way this is worded in the Hebrew, these are distinguished people, people who would stand out in society. So the societal structure during David's time, there's David the king, who was appointed by God, and then there's also other influential, well-off, maybe noble people you could think, who have maybe more money, and then there's the commoners. These are the more well-off people. They have great influence in Israel. They have great influence over the commoners, the poor people. And so these people are speaking ill, and then basically that's an image of maybe a whole kingdom starting to go against David. And David is feeling alone. Because of the harm that these people are causing him. In the midst of his frustration, in the midst of David being hurt, David first goes to God because he's approachable. But then here's the other reality that we need to know and experience, and it's this, that we're going to see in the next couple of verses. It's, it's the refinement of God. The refinement of God. Refinement is, in terms of the Webster Dictionary, it is the improvement of something by the making of small changes. Or another way is the process of removing impurities or unwanted elements from a substance. So gold, for example. You don't just mine for gold and you get, oh, gold looks like this. No, there's a refining process of gold. Where there's different things that happen to where we get the gold that we want to use today. All circumstances, especially difficult ones, and refine us. In fact, God will often use pain and hurt caused by other people to refine us. Now, there, there's something important to, to realize here that 
God never causes sin to happen to us. That would go against his character, his goodness, the attributes of who we know God is. But yet God will use the bad things, the hurt that happens to us, to refine us. And so in these next three verses, verses three through five, there are six commands, six commands that we're going to see from David about refinement. Now, at first, David is speaking these commands, these statements to his opponents, Because they they should know better. They know about God. They've heard the stories. They've read the scriptures. And yet they're causing harm on him. But these words aren't just for his opponents. These commands, these are also for us today. They are meant to help us refine ourselves, especially, especially when we are experiencing real hurts. Verse 3 says this. It says, But know, know is the command, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call. David's opponents should have known this. (laughs) They're followers of him. Instead of focusing on the knowledge that they know to be true, it seems to be just this mere remembrance of facts. For them, Instead of a knowledge that transforms, that brings change in life, they're focused on other things. There's other pressures happening for these opponents of David where it's causing them to not be committed to the Lord of what they know to be true. <laughs> and this is true of us. I mean, how easy is it for us to go through the motions, to go to church every week, to maybe try to read the Bible, to pray, and yet real change isn't happening. Now, don't get me wrong, those things are good, but it's very easy for us to go through. And how do, can we tell when this knowledge isn't transformative? You see it the most when bad things happen, when hurt happens. And then we have to ask the question, when we're faced with hard circumstances, when someone hurts us, and we didn't do anything wrong, and we're experiencing this and this pain, is does our faith really matter? Does our faith actually speak to us in our circumstance? Whenever we are in pain from someone's actions, does the true knowledge of what God has done in our lives affect how we see it? Okay, I can say that this isn't easy. This is so difficult because circumstances can speak so loudly, emotions, what we feel speak so loudly, and yet we see David reminding them to know the knowledge of the Lord. And you actually see David doing this. He he recalls two things. He says, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. He's recalling that, this knowledge. Not only that, but he says, and to know that the Lord hears when I call to him. What truth are you harboring in your soul when hard things are going to happen that you can cling on to? David continues. He says this uh, next. He says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry. This is so real. He's validating emotion. We're horrible at this as Midwesterners and Americans. He's saying, be frustrated. The wrong that was done to you is bad. Be angry. Yet, don't let that anger lead you to sin. How easy it for us? Like, oh my gosh, I look at my anger, and how easy it is for me just to respond in anger. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with getting angry. By the way, that's that's an easy thing for me. (laughs) 
And then I want to easily just respond. We want to, when someone posts something online, I see this with students and adults all the time. We're like, oh my gosh, that, that bothers me. I need to respond to it. <laughs> On Facebook, oh my word. But even with students, you see this all the time in social media and their friends say something and there's this battle and all of a sudden we're angry, but then we're responding because of that anger. Look at what David says right after, be angry and do not sin. He says this, he says, Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. We would much rather snap back at our spouse or our friend or our neighbor or our coworker when they do something wrong to us. But this says, wait. Think on this. Not only just think on it, but just be silent. We're horrible at this. You want to know why? It's probably in your pocket right now. Your phone. We think pondering something is, well, okay, you're angry. It's, it's taking our phone out and then binge watching Netflix. We think, we think pondering and knowing, maybe not responding is, is just scrolling through social media. and We're not dealing with our anger and frustration. We're pacifying it. We're saying, oh, I feel this pain and I don't want to feel it anymore. And I'm just going to use these means to ignore it. How do I know this? Because I do this. I get flustered in my head. And what do I want to do? I just want to pull out my phone and play this game or do this and just ignore life. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, some other stuff happened. And I'm like, I guess I'm okay. When I haven't really pondered what the Lord could be doing. Now, I got to say this. This is not an excuse to wait on certain things. There's certain things, abuses that happen in your life that need action right away. And so it's any, it's any time it happens, you're like, we need to talk to people. So that's not speaking to that. David continues in, in verse 5 says this, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Two commands, offer right sacrifices. David is calling his opponents, the people who are speaking ill of him, back to how God calls them to live. To offer right sacrifices was a, was a part of what it meant to be about the, uh, the community of God, according to the Old Testament. But not only was it about offering the correct form of sacrifice, it also required a posture of the heart, a posture of trust, we are called to trust in God. <laughs> this is really difficult, especially when we're hurt. When people have done this to us and we have no reason. We didn't cause any of this and yet we're called to trust in God. This is the reason why I love this psalm. Because in the beginning, David has real emotions. He's flustered. He doesn't know what to do. He has real pain and he cries out to God. Yet in the midst of his pain, He's able to find trust in God. Now, when we read this psalm, this, it's not supposed to be a, hey, okay, you do this, and then this happens automatically. This psalm shows the honest tug of the soul that's happening when we're feeling hurt. Where at one point, we feel the pain, we're lost, we're all this stuff, but then you see David claiming these things and these truths to trust in the Lord. What they did to David was wrong. He feels the pain, and yet in his pain, not after his pain, in his hurt, he's able to trust. This is so important for us. When, when, when people hurt us, we got to realize following 
God doesn't make it a magic switch where all of a sudden we're going to feel better. There is going to be an ongoing real battle when hurt comes. But then we also need to wrestle with the real knowledge and emotions and experience of who God is in the midst of that. God doesn't want to dismiss your pain. He sees it, but he does want to transform it. And we see this in the last part of the psalm, the last verses. And where David is still hurt, but he also understands and experiences the provision of God. The provision of God. He says in verse 6, There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Okay. This is a question we hear often. Who's going to show us some good? I mean, when stuff is bad happening to me, I'm, I'm like, hey, God, I, I, I could need a breather here. It could get a little better for me, please. Now, if I'm being honest, I'm really wrestling with why I'm asking that question. Hey, God, when can you show me some good? I'm asking that more in wanting my faith to serve me rather than my faith to serve what God wants to do. And that's a hard reality. It's not easy. But it's an honest question. I mean, in the midst of that question, David speaks about God's presence. He says, lift up the light of your face upon us. I mean, it has the image of, so when you go outside today, it's going to be cold. Let's say you're outside for a long time. And then there's this moment where the clouds part and then the sun just beams on you. And in that moment, you feel its warmth, you feel it affect your body, and you're just like, oh, thank you. That's the gaze of God's face to shine upon us. Another way to understand this that other translators uh, uh, translate it is let God's face smile. Let God smile upon us. It's in that, the darkness of what David's experiences, he's holding on to this provision. He's saying, let your light shine. Let your face shine on me. Another way to think about it, let's say like my kids just have a really bad day and they come home from school. And they want to tell me all about it. And they're just explaining everything. And they're hurt, they feel, and they didn't do anything wrong. And they're just, just letting it all out. And as I'm looking at my child as they're saying this, I feel a whole bunch of different emotions. First, I feel sad. I feel sad that they're going through this. I feel sad that this hurt is happening and they didn't do anything to, to cause it. But, but then also, I feel just immense joy in them. I feel immense love because this is my daughter. This is my son. Like, I'm in love with them. Also, you know what else I see? I, I, I have seen everything before them. I've seen the life they've done. I could see this trial. But then also, I can see a glimpse of hope after. I see all of these things when I'm gazing upon them. Do you know this gaze from God? Have you, have you experienced the warmth of him? Do you know that God's jealous for you to experience his gaze on you? God sees you. He sees our pain when it happens and hurt. He sees ahead of us, he sees before us, and he sees us now. David continues in, in verse 7, says this, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine Abound. Now remember where David started this psalm. Help! David hasn't forgotten this. It's in the midst of his pain that he's remembering that God can give him the provision of joy. More joy than the world can provide. 
This verse actually gives us a, maybe a glimpse in the reason behind David's struggle. Some commentators will say that there was a famine going on, which is why he says, hey, God, you give, give me more joy than all the food that could come to this place. Which makes a little sense because if there's a famine, that affects everyone. The poor, the rich, the king. We start to see that David is trying to see his current pain in God's provision. There is a way that God can transform and use hurt to where we ourselves can experience this joy. God wants to reshape the hurt. He doesn't dismiss it, but he wants to reshape it. David ends the psalm in verse 8. It says this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Okay, if, if I'm hurt, and this can happen, you know, someone says something, it just really hurt. It, it, it can mess with my head. You know, I can lie in bed and I'm trying to plan my retribution. I should have said this or did this. And I'm like, oh, if I see them, I'm going to be thinking. Like all these different things, they're swarming in my head. And so I'm wondering, how is David able to find rest? How, how is he able to deal with this? It's because he sees where his true safety lies. Even in the midst of his pain, he is able to go to God, who is approachable, and experience rest. Notice the emphasis. He says, in you alone, O Lord, not in the things of this world, even in my anxiety, all these things that happened, in you, God, are able to give me rest in the midst of my hurt. Do you know God wants you to experience the same when you're hurt? It's not, a, it's not a snap of the fingers and they're like, poof, God, David was sad and mad and now he's okay. That's not it. There's a real struggle for David. But in the midst of that struggle, he's holding on to that God provides. That he has provided for him and will provide for him. I look at Psalm 4 and there's just a realness to it. David's not fake. He's not trying to put on a show, but he's, he's struggling and holding on to what he knows of God and his experiences of God. So if, if David was able to see how approachable God is, if David was able to see how God can use things to refine us, and, and David was able to see the provision of God, how much more should we know and experience these now that Jesus has come? You want to know what's so profound is that when God looked on humanity, he didn't wait for us to approach him. God sent Jesus to approach us. Even when Jesus is on the earth, do you know what Jesus does again and again? He doesn't just, hey, I'm going to hang out and wait. No, he approaches others. He approaches you even now because that's of who he is. You get a glimpse of this in tons of different in the New Testament. I want to show you just one. It's Matthew chapter 11. Look at this. Jesus says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Okay, Jesus, the most important person ever who is fully God says, come to me. Do you see how approachable the posture of Jesus is? He says, come to me who have it all together. No. Read their Bible today, prayed, who are not struggling with sin, who are emotionally stable, who aren't feeling hurt. No. He says, come to me who carry heavy burdens. I love what Dane Ortland says in this. He says, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. 
Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Do you see the simple yet profound good news of Jesus? Gosh, I mean, he's he's approachable, yes, but even more so, he says, I want you to come and be with me. Look at what he says in the next verse, in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. A yoke was a farming tool. It was to connect two animals together in order to, to fulfill a task that was easier to do with two rather than one. The yoke connects them together. Jesus says, okay, you have a heavy burden. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Bring your burden and let me be with you. This burden that you're carrying, this pain that you have. He says, take the pain that someone caused you years ago that's still with you. Take the pain of this comment. Take the the lies that you're telling yourself. Take the the pain from a family member that's gone. Whatever it is, the hurt that's caused in your life, Jesus says, come to me and I am going to help carry that burden. The yoke Jesus is talking about, it's his teaching. It's the way of life we're called to do and he wants to refine us. He wants to grow us so that the pain we feel can be turned into some type of good. Now, maybe you're not experienced hurt. Maybe you're like, hey, Adam, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Past three weeks, awesome. Are you learning from Christ right now so that you are ready when the storms of life hit you, when the hurt that will definitely come, are you ready? Are you able to hold on to it like David is, or are you not? Because it's going to make the biggest difference in your faith. You know that Jesus, he's also promising provision. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to walk ahead of you and you follow me. I'm going to walk behind you. No, I'm going to walk side by side with you in the ups and downs of life. And he says this, this is what I love. It's like my yoke, my teaching, this way of life I'm calling you to. It's light. And it's supposed to give you rest in a world where it's so difficult to find. Would you please stand with me? We're going to have some people come forward in our frontline ministry, and they're going to be here to pray for you. Maybe there's a burden you're carrying. Maybe there's a pain you've been holding on to for a long time. Maybe something really bad has happened. Maybe you lost your job. Whatever it could be, encourage you after the service to come forward and to be prayed for because you're not meant to carry this alone. And so now, we as the body of Christ, as people who don't have it all together, we're called to go. Even in the midst of when someone hurts us, we're called to hold on to the fact that Jesus says, come. He says, I, I want to be with you so much I came first. Jesus says, come. Take my teaching." So you can experience a refinement where it's able to turn even the greatest hurts into something good. And Jesus says, come, however you are, and I will be with you now and forever always. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks, church.